For those who don't know me, I'm Cathy, I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to kick off a new series this morning. But before we do that, I'd love you to turn to the person next to you and share three words that would describe your experience of Parramatta Baptist Church. If you're not sitting near someone, find someone. words that conveyed something of, of warmth of relationships or quality of community, that kind of thing. Put your hand up. Hmm, very interesting. No, it's all right. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in the New Testament, the primary direction given to the early church was not about church services, buildings or programs, but rather it was about the quality of community that was to be among them. That was what they were to be known for. Andy Stanley made the observation that the primary activity of the early church was one anothering. The word one another, and it's one word in Greek, it's actually used 59 times in the New Testament, painting a picture of a community where the people had such quality of relationship and interaction with each other that was so different to anything else in that first century. Over the next six weeks, we are going to be challenged and reminded afresh to keep being that distinct kind of community. Let's pray. Lord, we're so conscious that the church is your body and that who we are as a church is meant to reflect who you are. And so today and through this series, would you challenge and remind us afresh of who you've called us to be as a church. Amen. So we're kicking off this one another series today with serving one another. But before we look at what scripture says, can we look at first of all, the the culture that we're living in in 2019. Because our perspective on serving has been shifting from generation to generation. Now, please don't hear this as condemnation, right? I just need to say this. There are strengths and there's beautiful things about every generation. And I'm not saying this is true of you, but when it comes to having an other-centred value that serves others, social researchers have summarised the shifts that have taken place. The generation who went through world wars were generally self-sacrificing. The majority put the needs of others ahead of their own needs at great cost to themselves. For the generation under them, with safety and survival no longer being the primary focus, they were able to turn their attention from the welfare of the group back to their own needs. Self-realisation and fulfilling their potential became important. And so rightly or wrongly, they were dubbed the me generation. Now each generation below them continued that focus on our own individual needs. We also wanted our kids to realise their full potential and so we worked hard to instil self-esteem. Whether we understood it or not, the psychology was that if I tell you you're great, then you will believe in yourself and you will achieve great things. Only later did we discover that self-esteem is a byproduct of success, not the determinant of success. And so in that effort to boost self-esteem, we inadvertently boosted narcissism. Now, I'm not saying this about you, 
But you have seen this self-obsession played out in the media and social media and, and, and around us in our culture, haven't you? Social researchers are actually saying it is in epidemic proportions. Those who cannot see beyond themselves. Perhaps a bit like this. Or even this. <laughs> Look, maybe even this. And again, I want to make it really clear that I'm not saying this about you. Please don't write blue cards, all right? <laughs> but we do need to understand that we are part of an increasingly self-obsessed culture. All of the messaging that we are told through the media and the dominant influence around us has a me-first filter. That's what we're living in. Well, with that as the backdrop, I want to say that we live in a time of incredible opportunity because we get to write a different story than that me-first story. Jesus calls us to live a better story. His story for us doesn't focus on the admiration of others. It doesn't have us following our dreams or going after amazing experiences. And yet, ironically, he says it is the path to greatness. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 26 and 27, whoever wants to become great must be a servant and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. The most influential man in history spent his entire life serving other people and encouraging his disciples to do the same. And he needed to encourage them in this because this me-first culture isn't a new thing. According to Luke, during the Last Supper, the disciples were disputing among themselves who was the greatest. And this wasn't the first time they'd struggled with it. Back in Luke 9, they were arguing about it. And then again in Matthew 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons wants her boys to have a prominent position. And the other disciples get a little ticked off by that. And here they were again at the Last Supper, jockeying for position. And so although Jesus has addressed a me-first desire for prominence before, he does so again in John 13. Jesus needed his disciples to know that their definition of greatness was upside down. It's not measured by status, position or admiration. It's measured by their preparedness to get their hands dirty and serve. So let's take a look at what happened we have a Bible reading? Thank you, Simon. We're going to look at John 13, 1 to 5, and then 12 to 17. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can read along, or it'll be up on the screen as well. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And from verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he had put on his clothes and returned to the, his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. So the social protocol going on in Jesus' day was that if I come to your place for dinner, then first up we'd take off our shoes and your lowest ranking servant or family member would wash our feet. And this is clearly not focused on building the self-esteem of the youngest daughter. Well, foot washing was a, a foul job. People wore sandals, showers were few, dust and animal dung lined the roads, and so it's not surprising it's the job of the lowest-ranking person. But did you notice in the story that Jesus and his disciples, they're already reclining around the table and no one has washed their feet? And they would have been keenly aware of it because their feet are at nostril height, right? And so I'm guessing the disciples, they're all there kind of... You're so aware, this is very socially awkward. And they're all waiting for someone else to do it. It probably didn't even occur to them that one of them might do it. And it's in that context that Jesus, the guest of honour, the highest ranking person there, takes a basin and a towel and washed the disciples' feet. And this would have gained the disciples' full attention. Do you remember a few weeks back the state dinner in the Rose Garden that Donald Trump threw for Scott Morrison and you know, it had this guest list of who's who and you know, just celebrities and that sort of thing? Remember that? Jesus' act here would be like Donald Trump at that Rose Garden dinner saying to the waiter, look, don't worry about clearing the plates. I'll clear the plates and I'll, I'll do the dishes as well. Why don't, why don't you just take a seat? Here, take my seat and have a fr- chat with my friend ScoMo here and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll clean up. Like, it doesn't happen, right? It didn't happen in Jesus' day either. So why would Jesus, their Lord and Master, stoop to foot washing? Well, firstly, it mirrored what he was about to do on the cross that just as he would wash them physically, that he would wash them spiritually by his death. And secondly, and really importantly, it gave him opportunity to say one last time, perhaps even more memorably, because you know, some of us aren't so good at retaining words, but we do retain the feelings that we had in an experience that really is out of the ordinary. And so this would have impressed on them. Jesus was saying to them, greatness is not about having other people serve them. True greatness is about serving others. That is the story that we are called to live. That we would serve one another like that. In verse 14, Jesus said, Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet... You also should wash one another's feet. I've set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. You know, there is no record that the early church literally washed each other's feet from that point on. What they understood Jesus to be saying was that believers should be willing to serve one another with even the humblest of tasks. It was like they metaphorically put on this this servant's towel that Jesus used from that point on. The disciples finally got it. And so we see the stories following this, this episode, following Jesus' resurrection, where the disciples actually get it. And being mindful of this servant's towel 
is so important for us because this is exactly the same towel that we put over our arm, this towel that would be prepared to wash feet. Being mindful of it is so important if we are going to write a different story than the me-first story of our culture. So we're going to look at three practical ways that putting on this servant's towel finds expression among us. And these aren't things I've made up. These are things straight from the New Testament. These are part of the one another's. Firstly, when we gather on a Sunday, putting on this servant's towel means that we choose to be aware of others. 1 Peter 4.9 says that we are to offer hospitality to one another. Hospitality is about helping others feel at home. During our four-month sabbatical last year, Steve and I visited about probably about 14 different churches over that time. And it was such a good reminder for us of what it is like to be a newcomer in a church because it's so easy to get familiar in a place and have your little circle of friends and to forget what it is like to feel alone. So we experienced probably the full spectrum of welcomes in, in a church. So at one end of the spectrum as a church, I'm going to call it the Church of the Green Shirts. So the green shirts were the designated welcomers. Now, the day we arrived, there were probably at least a dozen green shirts, I would say. Some of them were staring off into the distance. Others were talking among themselves. We made it past every single green shirt without any eye contact or a single greeting. We weren't ducking and weaving. We got to the auditorium. We weren't really sure where to sit, so we, we sat where we normally sit, you know, in the front section. Down the <laughs> That's what you do, right? We made our way down, and, and, um, and that was fine. We were by ourselves. Others did come in, but they left this polite, like, six chairs either side of us. So we're like, oh, gosh, we've got our invisibility cloaks on. The service itself, I have to say, was really good. But after the service, I went out, ducked out to the ladies. Steve was out standing in the foyer. He, he stood there, because I joined a queue. This is a big church. Joined a queue. So he stood there probably for five to ten minutes by himself. Not a soul spoke with him. Do you know five or ten minutes can feel like an awkward eternity when no one notices you, no one acknowledges you, no one speaks to you? Came out, we made our exit. Guess what? No one spoke to us. I don't want to bag the Church of the Green Shirts. We actually knew it had some amazing strengths, which is why we went there. But I want to say, if we weren't aware of what those strengths were, if we were looking to explore who Jesus is, if we were just looking for a church, if we'd had a damaged church experience in the past, and that was our experience of venturing into a church, there's no way. Like, you know, we were just felt so unwelcome in that place. So I said we visited churches and, and there was a full spectrum. Down the other, can I tell you about the one at the other end, like the one that hit it out of the park? All right, so we got there and on our arrival there was a really, really warm greeting at the door and, and again, when we got inside into the auditorium, there was someone there and, and they said, oh, you know, can, we, can we show you to a seat? And so sat us down in these seats again, there was no one sitting around us, but this girl got up from where she was, moved over and asked if she could sit with us. Huh. So that meant that in that awkward, you know that greeting time when it's like say hello to the person next to you and you realise that there is no one next to you? 
she starts up this conversation. It's warm, it's comfortable, it's very normal. It was lovely. After the service finished, we were invited personally to join them for supper. We didn't go to supper, but on our way out, there's a group of guys who are standing by the door and they're chatting among themselves, but they, they notice that we're about to leave, so they stop their conversation and they initiate a conversation with us. This was such a welcoming, welcoming place. PBC, can I implore you that when we gather, that you would consciously put on your serving towel and look for ways that you can show hospitality to people you don't know. And don't get nervous that maybe this person isn't actually new, maybe I'm meant to know them or whatever. Hospitality isn't just for those who are brand new on that day, it is for anyone who is feeling alone for them to feel included. All right, so put aside that, that nervous, oh, maybe I'm meant to know you thing. It's okay if you don't know one another. But look out for one another. If someone is standing alone, go and say hi. Find a way to include them in a, in a conversation if you're already in one. Look for who's coming in and invite them to sit with you. Makes a difference. During greeting times in the service, look for those who no one is talking to. And even if you have to get up and move, would you do that? Don't just leave someone sitting by themselves. If you're able, invite another for a meal. You know, and can I just say, for those of you who like to sit on the ends of rows, I know who you are. <laughs> it's okay, I know some of you have reasons for it, but I do want to say, could you be really conscious that you give eye contact to those who are coming in and you make sure that they know that they're welcome, that you're not the keeper of the four empty chairs sitting beside you, <laughs> that, that you really, actually would really like them to join you? Because what we message to people, you know, verbally and non-verbally, is so, so important in whether they feel welcome and at home in this place. Let's be hospitable. Let's write a different story to the individualistic, inhospitable narrative that dominates our culture. We aren't people sitting on a train going to work all facing one direction in our own world. We are community. So one of the ways that we're to put on this serving towel is to be hospitable. Another way is to contribute in whatever ways that we're able. 1 Peter 4.10 says that each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others, whether that's in a ministry context, whether that's one-to-one. -one. Jesus and Paul both implore us, use whatever gifts you have been given. And so I want to say, if you're not doing that, like there are opportunities, Steve's mentioned them through the rosters, through worship teams, there's opportunities in ministries as well. If you're not doing that, we would love to have a conversation and help you work out how you might join in. But it's not just using our gifts, it's also about doing the practical tasks that just need to be done. And so Steve has mentioned like there's some gaps in our roster. That's a great way to just do practical tasks that need to be done. And then there's just those other things that we see when we gather. If there's an empty toilet roll in the toilet, don't just go to another cubicle, right? If there's a cup that's been left on the floor in the auditorium, don't just walk past it and take yourself out. Someone picks those things up. Someone changes those things. Let the someones be each of us. Let's just... Hey, yes, thank you for saying yes. Part of the narrative of the me-first culture is that someone else will do it or that um, that task is beneath me. But, you know, if Jesus can wash feet, there is nothing 
that is beneath us. And can I just say too, attitude is really important in this. Jesus wasn't resentful that he had to wash feet. In John 13 verse 2, it says that Jesus loved his disciples to the end and then he goes on to wash their feet. This foot washing was an expression of that love. And so by putting on this servant's towel and, and serving, we're, we're not just going, oh, I'll do it. You know, we're actually expressing our love for each other as we do whatever task it might be, whatever ministry it might be, whatever simple thing it is. It's the way that we love each other. So putting on the servant's towel means being hospitable. It means contributing in whatever ways you're able. And the final thing that I want to touch on is that it means caring for one another. Galatians 6.2 instructs us to carry each other's burdens. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Now, I love that we have a love in action ministry. I love that we're prepared to pray for one another. But I just want to say, it does make me a little bit afraid that we can reduce our caring down to just like putting our name on a list and just waiting for someone that they might call us and we might respond in that event. Just go beyond that. Even if you put your name down, just actually be looking out. How can I care for others in our congregation? What are the needs? I do love that coming out of our prayer chain, email prayer chain, that I often hear conversations where people follow others up that they know and they, or they want an address and they want to be able to contact and encourage that they're praying. Some of you I know are brilliant at caring for one another. You see a person who has a need and you offer prayer or you listen and you offer support, or you send a card or a text to encourage, or you offer practical assistance in some way, I just want to say thank you and let it be all of us. Every small act of kindness really makes a very big difference in another person's life. Can I tell you the story of an elderly gentleman in our congregation? Last year, Sam had an accident and he landed in hospital. Sam didn't have any family and so a small band of PBC people rallied around him. They visited and they, they collected his mail from home. And as his time in hospital kept going, they brought him things from home and they took care of his bills and they even did his washing. And when it seemed like he was close to being discharged, still more people from PBC went and they cleaned his home in preparation for his homecoming. But then Sam took a turn for the worse and he landed in ICU in a coma. And still people from PBC visited. Even though Sam couldn't hear or respond, or maybe he could hear, we don't know. But they spoke over him, they prayed over him, they played music over him and sometimes some just went and they held his hand. And as those of you who were involved put this serving towel over your arm and served Sam so beautifully, you wrote a different story to that of our culture. And you know what? Not only did it bless Sam and honour Jesus, but it also spoke powerfully to others. The staff in ICU were so blown away by this church who loved Sam so practically. They were used to people like Sam being left alone to die. Sam actually died on the day of our volunteers' appreciation evening and my friend who doesn't yet know Jesus was catering that night and she witnessed the way that we loved Sam and it was all she could talk about afterwards. She said she has never been part of a community like that. She was so moved. 
And then the amazing thing was that because we were writing a better story that loved and served selflessly, others in the wider community joined in on that better story. Sam didn't have enough money for a funeral, but the funeral director said that because the church had done the right thing by Sam, that they also would do the right thing by him, and they covered most of the cost of the funeral. Even the local florist chipped in and provided flowers. Church, when we write a better story than the me-first story of our culture, don't underestimate how impacting it is. Don't get hijacked by the inferior me-first story that everyone else is living. Make a choice every day that you will live a better story, the Jesus story, the story that takes up the serving towel every time we come together and look out for the needs of others. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to pray that you would open our eyes even today. I'm just really mindful, Lord God, that there are people among us right now who just need to be loved and encouraged, who are needing prayer. And Lord God, I want to pray that each of us would be really mindful as this service comes to a close, that we would be looking around for who we can include who we can encourage, who we can care for, who we can be in prayer for through the week. So I just want you to pause right now and and just invite the Lord to put on your heart just someone in our church family that you might serve, either today or through this week. Jesus, thank you that you would serve us. And God, I want to pray that we would represent Jesus so well in this community here. And then may that spill over into the wider community, that we would write this incredible story that stands out from the rest of our world. God, I want to pray that as people encounter this community, that they would be so overwhelmed by the love and the presence of Jesus in this place, not as something mystical, but as something that is expressed through your people. So God, I pray that we would be that kind of community in Jesus' name. Amen.